honestly, talking about mutual aid, I just feel bad that I don't know, know all my neighbors' names, but I'll be honest, it makes me so nervous to think that like everyone in my community would potentially know my name. You're listening to United States of the Left in support of the People's House Mutual Aid Network. And tell me about the bread tube scene. I mean, it, it's all terms. It's, it's, you need to have a pretty high level vocabulary of these terms um, and their meanings and their historical, you know, how they, how they came to be. Like all that stuff matters. And so I've been in this like huge inundation where I'm watching people who are really well-versed in political science, who are mm. really well-versed in philosophy. Yeah. I'm reading that book that Vitalia got me. That's like... What what book was that? I, I, I'd like legit want to read it after you're done. So you yeah, need to... it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a nonfiction about the, uh, basically the Christian socialist movement in Europe. So, and from and, like the 1800s, yeah, right? yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is like the whole history. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just, I feel like, I feel like I can't even get the full grasp of that book because like I took philosophy, but I didn't pay attention to that. And I never took any poli sci courses. And like, I don't really have that strong of a historical education. So I, it's like way over my head. Like I'm probably absorbing 40%. Which is, you know, honestly, I want to I wanna support you on this, too, because, like, honestly, part of this project where we're talking about the United Left is, like, not everybody has a college education. Yeah. Not everybody is a graduate student. There are lots of people here who have basically had to school themselves. I mean, you've had to school yourself. Yeah, and, and you're not going to get a lot of ground... Tr- you know, trying to explain the difference between a democratic socialist and a social democrat. I don't even know if I could dive exactly. into it. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. And that's like the point of this podcast is it's really like, I think it, part of it is just making us think harder. Yeah. And like do the heavy lifting. Yeah. And, and put it on record because, man, it is so easy. Like I said, like talking shit on Twitter or like getting into a flame war on Facebook, like a boomer or just whatever, like guilty as charged today. But still, I feel like I have um, had an urge to to really square it away and become much more well-versed because I want I want to know the differences. Sure. And it, it, you know, it challenges you know, I've been watching a ton of debates and, you know, it, it challenges my framework. Like, do I really believe what I believe and why do I believe it? And is it just theory or do I think that there's actually a practical, you know, utilitarian benefit to what I believe? Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm stoked to hear about this because I, I think one of the most interesting parts about uh, hanging out with you is that we have two very different learning and uh, like absorption practices. Like yeah. I read, I read voraciously. I read history. I read yeah. political commentary. I read historical political commentary. I've gotten into podcasts 
but only recently. Sure. And it has changed how I perceive things because there's you have less control over a podcast host than you do over a, a book. You know, yeah. choosing a book is is a very uh, intentional uh, process, at least for me. Choosing a podcast, you kind of go, you get taken for a ride, sure. which is really what we're planning on doing as well. Yeah. Um, with with the goal of of yeah, appealing liberals and moderates over to progressives. We're not here to radicalize. Like I, I. Th- yeah, it's not. It's 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 yeah. I mean, this is we're kind of stepping into the whole yeah, uh, like purpose and intention here, right? And you know, I I just want to affirm what you said. This isn't radicalization because I don't. At least, I mean, it's subjective. I don't I don't <laughs> view what we believe as radical. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, we we talked about it a couple. You know. I don't know when it was. I think it was it was during the primary of the last election. And uh, I wonder if that truck got picked up on the mics. That was super loud. It we're, probably did. That's going to have to be We're something. in a garage. <laughs> By uh, lamplight. <laughs> <laughs> it's an open garage yeah. because we'll get carbon monoxide Guest poisoning. Guest host. <laughs> truck. Um, but we talked about like the, the, the different framings. Is this... Is this radical or is this just the moral center? And have our has our Overton window shifted so far to the right that it, that it can be mislabeled as something as radical? And really, what we're what we're advocating for is just really pretty middle of the ground. If you just get out of American politics, yeah, and I I one hundred percent agree with that. I I feel one of the the biggest things for me that has really changed the way that I see American politics is just. And this is back of the envelope math, but I've been seeing more and more articles posted um, regarding this. Are, are the huge number the the disparities in in popular vote to results yeah. that we see at, at local, state, and especially national yeah. um, levels, and just how how like when we talk about the will of the people. Are we talking about that? Like all of a sudden, does Joe Biden's winning by seven million votes? How does that become a a squeaker of an election? Right. How is a fifty fifty split in the United States Senate a you know a tie when the fifty Democratic senators represent forty one million more people? Yeah. Than the fifty Republican senators. Yeah. More. Yeah. It's the disparities are striking, and yet we're having to negotiate on a playing field that, according to Matt Iglesias, I saw like it's an R plus seven Senate map. Like Republicans can lose by seven percentage points and still potentially have Senate control. Yeah. And the national vote. And yeah, they're the affirmative action hire of electoral politics. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they, they keep on trying to make it more of an affirmative action for themselves, which is, I, I, I think that we need to be very clear that the next couple of years, we might see just perpetual minority rule. I mean, yeah. we're very close to it already. I, yeah. We've really been in minority rule for a long time. And I don't mean minority by uh, race, but I mean minority as in a small group of people are making major, major decisions about the lives of everyone else right. in this country. For sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we got like two arms of this project. We've got the podcast and the mutual aid part. Absolutely. Um, tell, tell us about, uh, the mutual aid, the mutual aid part of it. Cause that's just something I don't know that much about and I'm, I'm eager to learn about it. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I also have a lot that I want to learn about it and I'm super new to the concept, but one of the things that blew me, blew my mind, um, going to even the first BLM marches when everyone, it seemed like everyone was out on the streets in Los Angeles. Um, you know, there were. Uh, the crowd estimates were tens of thousands. Yeah. I don't think anyone got an accurate count at that point. Um, but what blew my mind was that I could show up. I didn't, but I could have shown up with nothing but a T-shirt on my back. And I would have been fed, given water, hand sanitizer, multiple masks for the coronavirus <laughs> yeah and um i i got drinks i got a white claw thrown at me not yeah. at me but at a bush near me so that i could drink it from like a five fifth story window um burritos were getting handed out the the sense of community and yeah. the sense of solidarity in the broadest broadest sense where everyone was out to help yeah. and everyone was out there to make a show and to show that we were together and saying that black lives matter and saying that, um, you know, Donald Trump, you know, Mike Pence need to get out of the white house. Yeah. Everything we, everyone was there and police reform, Police reform. Yeah, I, I think every I think honestly there were so many different reasons why people were out. I saw I saw an old man who must have been 90, 80, you know, if I'm being generous, barely, barely able to take a full step. And he was out there risking his life to be out there and marching for black lives. He was just yeah. an older, older white gentleman. Yeah. Um I I like it 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 struck me to the core but the idea that you could show up to an event and everything was there for you to be able to to have your voice be heard and everyone there supporting you just it was addicting yeah. i've never felt that way before and um i wanted to be a part of it i yeah. i I went and bought a thousand dollars worth of uh, food and water and started handing it out to everyone uh, at each protest. It, yeah. it turns out I'm pretty scrapey, so I got a lot of the food, but not a lot of people wanted it because it was crappy, <laughs> like peanut butter crackers when everyone was getting burritos and tequila. Was it like? Was it like? It was like you're going on like a like a climbing trip. Yeah, I was going yeah. on a climbing trip, and everyone else was <laughs> like, "Hey, man, this is West LA. <laughs> we play different rules here." Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, I I just I just saw that and I wanted to be a part of it, and I saw that a lot of other people were doing that too. So, um, you know, I was donating, you know, cash directly. I was just making sure that people were getting what they needed and being a part of that. And that really took me on a road where I was like, man, 
I feel like I've done more to build this community and to help others just through actions like that than I have years working in the nonprofit sector, building yeah. homes, helping feed the hungry, yeah. um, you know, just everything felt like nothing compared to what it was to just hand somebody something with no strings attached. Sure. And that's mutual aid. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to, to build uh, off of. And especially as we kind of go into this hibernation period, it's dark, it's cold, everyone's waiting to see what happens in 2021. Well, something that I can do is still keep helping. Yeah. And that's what I, I want this podcast to kind of document, but also to, to give us some um, accountability on that as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, the the project is, you know, we've we've started, you know, referring to it as the people's house. And we want to be able to benefit, not, we're not benefiting, we... <laughs> We are though. I mean, let's yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. Like mutual aid is about benefiting yeah, it's each reciprocal. other. It's reciprocal. Sure. It's the uh, the abnegation, the self abnegation, where it's supposed to be something I'm giving up something, is I think that's like the power is that no, I'm gaining something for sure, for sure. And and you know, I, I think there's just so many uh, emotional and personal and even spiritual benefits from you know serving people and serving your community so i, I agree 100 percent. we live in southwest la south los angeles yeah. i mean let's be honest yeah. this is this yeah. is south los angeles yeah. yeah and you know the the need is great mm -hmm. the need is great yeah and and so uh we want to explore this this concept of mutual aid because uh like you said we don't know what we're doing but we're eager to learn and we want to be able to document this on this podcast and like you said have that accountability which i think is really important yeah absolutely and and i want to i want to go back a little bit as you you mentioned the spiritual side and i'm i'm not as much of a religious person or spiritual person as yourself but I know that that is a strong piece of your yeah. personality. It's it is a part of your personality. Yeah. But I I do think that one of the ways that I see mutual aid and one of the reasons why we're calling this project the People's House is that there is a sense of faith to this and there is a sense that similar to a church where a group of people to get together and through tides they build a house together yeah. to support each other and the community. Yeah. And, you know, the, the best roles that I've seen of, of those uh, religious souls out there is when they treat the community as one, even if they are not of the same faith. Yeah. And I think that that is how I see the left and how I see mutual aid as well. And how powerful of a concept that is to just say, hey, we're all moving in the same direction as a part of humanity. And that's a really powerful concept. And I think that's where hopefully as, you know, a moderate, as a liberal, where you're like worried about budgets and worried about like 
making sure that the economy, quote unquote, is doing well, that maybe you're kind of missing out on some of that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this. Um, You know, coming to this place where there's a time for talk and then there's a time where um, it's only going to be through the effort of investing in other people's lives and trying to improve their life, their material conditions, try to help them with their problems. Can you really win hearts and minds? And it's a, it's a tried and true, you know, methodology in, in the sphere of faith. And I think it's, it's something that we want to try to apply in the, in, on the left. And, and obviously there's a huge, you know, historical precedence for this. Mm-hmm. Um, like Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. <laughs> we're we're going to have Vitalia do a guest appearance <laughs> just on Rasputin. That sounds good. Yeah. I look forward to that. Um, but yeah, man, it, it, it's, uh, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that I think, uh, you know, talking about politics and trying to convince someone on the merits of a, policy or a political ideology or a party only gets you so far and i think uh it's just it's just way more meaningful and impactful when uh people are investing in each other and in doing so you know not that they're they're representatives of of like i i'm here on behalf of socialism like they're a missionary or something yeah right but it's it's they're their beliefs is what's motivating them and and that that speaks so much louder than what anyone's going to hear at like a, a debate that's broadcasted on CNN. Dude, I just want to tell you I'm loving this. <laughs> we we had like a cold run earlier and it was like the most brutally boring uh, thing as we hit like all our highlights and checkpoints, but yeah. like we had a heart to heart and just like hit record <laughs> and this is just coming out so much better. Like, way better. Way better. Yeah. Yeah, man. I I want to I want to like just say this that felt good. And I don't care if we're recording or not here. Like that felt good. Yeah. That felt really heartfelt and that felt like true. Like, reach it felt true and it felt yeah. like we were both reaching out to each other and reaching out to the community as well and yeah. really really getting to the heart of this and I I love that. Um, I, I, I think it's probably though, I want to hear more about you and your journey on this. I know we've talked about this before so many times, Yeah. but tell me more. I mean, we're talking about the spirituality side. Yeah. What's your, what's been your journey? Yeah. So, um, raised in a, you know, very conservative Mormon family, um, you know, in Utah, um, and, you know the the my parents are just like they were uh just diehard republicans and and you know towed the the party line um and you know i remember the like the first i guess uh foray into political theory was reading a, 
a book by Rush Limbaugh. And it just made... <laughs> I laugh every time you say that. <laughs> well, it's, it's even more funny because it, it all made sense. Like yeah. I, was, I was totally vibing on it. Like, yeah, this, this guy's making a lot of good points. Um, and then, you know, that was like, you know, kind of like cringe adolescence, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade type stuff. Um, and then, uh, I, I guess like you were like, oh yeah, rap is crap and rock is king or whatever. I mean, like (laughs) when he talked about like how, you know, uh, birth control is bad and like sex education is bad that totally just aligned with what i was hearing at church and the culture i was raised in like it 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 was just more comfort it was just it was taking what was already formed in my worldview and like going breaking it down and and putting and going in depth with it and like applying like a national lens Mm. to that yeah um but then you know I think we have another guest appearance, the neighbors. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Hopefully one day we'll get Andre over and a few other people. And I we bet will he's got hear. some stuff to say, man. I'm sure he does. Andre's going to be maybe be our first guest. Yeah. I don't even care what he says. Like, sure. honestly, Andre is so cool. <laughs> he's going to be our first guest. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to rope him in. Yeah. I'm so I'm into it down, man. Like, I, I can't imagine being a black man growing up on the West side. Yeah. And for 60 years now. Yeah. I Oosh. mean, yeah. His, yeah. That would be cool. Brothers, that would be cool. It'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think, I think as with, you know, some, a lot of people, um, I just kind of became, uh, more open-minded and, and kind of like, in trying to find out my own identity, definitely started rejecting the values and worldviews I was impressed upon me in my childhood. And then, you know, I remember um, in the 2000s, two really big issues that kind of made me, you know, more, more progressive was the Iraq war and climate change. Um, I remember, you know, I was in my, I was living in Washington at the time and I used to go to Seattle every weekend to hang out with my sister and her husband. Honestly... Talking about mutual aid, I just feel bad that I don't know know all my neighbors' names, but I'll be honest, it makes me so nervous to think that, like, everyone in my community would potentially know my name. Like, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. That it freaks me out. So it's one of the things that I need to also come to terms with. I think that's probably that's been the biggest barrier for me. Good point. Is that I don't care what neighborhood I live in. It's tough for me to to think that like every single day I'm gonna pass somebody who's just gonna know who I am in a. I mean, they already know who I am. They're already yeah aware. But it's more skin in the game. It's more skin in the game. And isn't that kind of like a, a micro of the macro? Yeah. Like, I mean, 
Like all of a sudden I'm actually answerable for like yeah. the, the mess I have in my yeah. front yard sometimes. It's w- <laughs> it's way more it's 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 way more exposure than just a political post on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I think it's I think it's healthy and I think it's also pretty reasonable to be concerned about it or have anxiety if uh, that's Yeah, because yeah, I, I don't know I know like I know like three of my neighbors mm-hmm. which you know you could even make the case like oh you you know like you could you could call that out like here yeah. you are calling for like these grassroots mutual aid you know working class movements and you don't even know your neighbors who represent exactly the the people you you know what i mean yeah i want to explore that a little bit more like i feel like that was one of the things so i was on a i was on a zoom call with the la tenants union mm-hmm. and they they had a lot of good stuff to say about that because a lot of the organizers too are in the same boat you know like probably you know a lot of especially for dsa membership as in los angeles probably a gentrifier yeah. You know, like, I mean, there's a significant group that that have born and raised in Los Angeles, but there's a lot of us who, who moved here from somewhere else and, yeah. and found the only housing we could find. Like, let's be honest. There's like no housing. Every every one of us, every, all of my peer group, we've all been homeless before living out of a car, couch surfing, anything like that. Yeah. We all know what it's like to try to find housing in this city. Yeah. Um, but there's that earnestness to, how do I do this? And one of the things that they mentioned was just like, look, you don't have to be the leader. You can bring up the ideas, but usually there's somebody else who feels just as strongly as you and just being there to support them and their journey is just as important as your own, you know, feeling like you need to save the world. Yeah, I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting thing to explore because um, it makes me like the fact that I I only know a few of my neighbors. Yeah. Um, what is that? Is that is that a product of the you know hyper individualization that we've been exposed to in this society? Is it a legitimate breakdown of community? Is it is it my own selfish fears and insecurities? I would say that I'm kind of a jerk, probably. To, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to. I don't want to have to like confront the fact that I might need to conform a little bit more. Sure. You know. Sure. Like, what if I talk to, you know, Luis down the road, and he's just is, he's like, dude, man, the way you park every day it's yeah blocking <laughs> i'm like oh no <laughs> he's like remember remember that note you got that one day that was from me that was for me no yeah no exactly like I, I think that like personal accountability is a really tough piece to this mutual aid side yeah and and i i think that's i think that's a really good point and you know not letting good be the enemy of perfection. Like we don't need to have it all together. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I know for myself, like my ego definitely doesn't necessarily operate that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like the prospect of getting real talked by my neighbor, you know, once I'm like out there trying to put myself, you know, put that skin in the game and just like, 
shit, I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board immediately. Or what about the real talk with like connecting with other leftists? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I got, I'll be honest. I got ragged on, on Twitter, uh, last week. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, honestly, I, I, I think that it, it enabled me to to do a little bit more thinking on my own motives behind and this one this was housing i don't want to get into it but it was really tough on me but no it it was good <laughs> like i was getting i was getting ragged on i was getting called a yimby which like is weird cuz uh, yes in my backyard so it's like uh, the opposite okay. of a nimby but yeah. to the left like that's a that's a term of derision at least in some circles and i'm like oh my gosh like now I have to revisit that, but that doesn't mean that I, I, I stop supporting that. It's more like I wanted to hear more on their point of view. Sure. I was actually, I was like in a conversation with a homeless person who had their phone and was tweeting policy from like under a bridge in their car, and and you know like props to them. Yeah. We, we're mutuals now we follow each other it wasn't yeah. you know it was like i was i was getting muted left and right by a lot of other people and you know what <laughs> i hope that they unmute me one day but i muted them back because i was getting annoyed too so anyways this is maybe where the project you know the confluence here sure. is that mutual aid is about also like supporting each other too and like these yeah. very different viewpoints yeah yeah that's i mean it's Man, how many tangents can we go on? Like the no, but that was good. So I yeah, I I don't want to. No, no, I'm (laughs) like into it. Like you're in high school, man. (laughs) Twitter didn't even exist. (laughs) Uh, so are we going back to the? No, we can continue. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say just the infighting. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, the uh, how bad faith we can be with each other, like like Mm. yeah. You know, it's like scoring a point. Yeah. And, and like, okay, you know, not necessarily agreeing with someone on policy or, you know, whatever does not necessarily mean that like your motivations are antithetical to theirs. Mm-hmm. You just might, we might just have a different path towards the same goal. And even if it's not the same goal, that's okay. Yeah, I feel like there's way more common ground than, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's it's just I'm all for like good faith debate and challenges and like correcting each other mm-hmm. and like no that's 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 not right and here's why, um, we need that you know we need to be able to edify each other but at the same time I feel like there's just so much counterproductive infighting that just serves nothing except for like the dunk. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I I mean, I just, I want to inject some historical perspective in here. That is nothing new. There is nothing new. Like, honestly, I think if anyone could have predicted what 2021 was going to look like, it was going to be this. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why we thought this podcast would be helpful because we, the united part, the united part yeah. is so crucial. Yeah. It's so crucial to, to stay united and to keep building on this project. Like America is not a perfect union. America is an unfinished project and it was designed to be that way. Yeah. And it requires our work. 
to make this country and this world a better place. You know, a more perfect union, uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that was the Declaration of Independence. Somehow in the next 10, 15 years after the Declaration of Independence became life, liberty, and pursuit of property. And maybe we should consider why that changed. Yeah, I agree. You know? So let's let's circle back though. Okay. I mean, we we finished with you had climate change and you had yeah. the Iraq War. Yeah. So I, you know, um, I was living in Washington and going to Seattle uh, every weekend to hang out with my sister and her husband, and they were you know way more progressive than I was, um, and you know I remember like listening to President Bush give a speech over the radio about the invasion like the night before it happened and it's just kind of like one of those you always remember where you were at it felt like history in the making and then you know i remember uh watching um the uh, what is it called the al gore documentary on climate change the like seminal one that kind of just brought it to the the zeitgeist. Honestly, I don't remember. I think I was probably like an a inconvenient freshman. truth. Yeah, you an inconvenient that? truth. Oh yeah, I didn't watch that. Yeah, I was. I was With sixteen. Like the scissor lift, and he's talking about the the carbon and yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, that was super impactful. Um, and then and then like, I remember like printing up. I remember printing up like a thirty-page, like UN scientific report on climate change and giving it to my conservative, you know, Fox news watching father thinking that that was going to impact him. And his responses like was just, you know, more conservative talking points of, well, there's no consensus. And, and so, yeah. And so like, I, I just remember those two issues just really, galvanized me and then and then my life just got totally off the rails with like drugs and homelessness and and uh and so you know you can't do anything productive when you're trying to wrestle with those demons at least i wasn't able to yeah i mean i i would be impressed if you had yeah absolutely but Um, i i think i think meeting you on the other side of that if you hadn't been just 100% forthright from the beginning, I never would have right. known what what demons you had sure. wrestled with. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much went away for f- four years to work on myself. And then you we met when I emerged from that kind of like rehabilitation cocoon that I was in. Which is, which is again, like I, I think... You've done some pretty spectacular things with your life. I've witnessed a few of them. And I think that, um, sorry, this is going to be pretty emotionally vulnerable, guys. <laughs> but, <it>. uh, yeah. <laughs> but you getting through uh, Beacon House and you getting through, you know, um, the program that you did yeah. is probably the most spectacular thing that you've accomplished. I think it, it built the foundation of the person that you've become. And yeah. I think anyone 
who's seen you and seen the what you've done, I think anyone would be impressed with all of that that came after. But that alone, I think, is, is a truly, I mean, m- you know more than I do how how few people manage to do that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and I, yeah, it feels that way. Um, and that, you know, that was the, that's where I came to faith again. I don't, I don't even want to say again, because I feel like the indoctrination that I experienced as a child was not legitimate. It wasn't my own, I should say. Um, and that's when I came to faith. And then, um, and then I think like a lot of, you know, uh, big D Democrats that I was, um, you know, I, I, I got, I don't know when, when, when Bernie Sanders ran in 2016, that it just made a lot of sense. Everything I was hearing from him, you know, post Occupy Wall Street. Um, that was another, you know, that definitely brought to the forefront, uh, class disparity in a way that it, it hadn't in my life before. And so when I heard his platform and and what he had to say, it just, it just really resonated. And then, and then I feel like in this, in the 2020 election and the primaries, that was just another bigger buy-in with us going out and canvassing and going to rallies and getting on the phone and calling people and sending text messages and donating money and just getting more skin in the game. And then obviously 2020 with the protests and the, and the marches, like that was just the next level and experiencing that with you and finding out what that that's all about and realizing that there's way more to social change and just electoral politics. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of been my education journey in this process and, that's dope, man. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Like, honestly, yeah. we on, on the dry run we did, episode <laughs> negative zero. Negative. We didn't, we didn't really go into this as much. You know, no. I don't think we were as emotionally vulnerable. We no. weren't really discussing a lot, you know, like the, the, the demons that you've had to fight and, you know, um, and everything like that. But I think that gives a much clearer picture sure. of, of your journey. Yeah. You know, it requires that and and the gaps, you know, yeah. and I think that whatever we need to also be able to forgive ourselves for yeah. like times when maybe we weren't as aware. Sure. And it's easy to feel ashamed about that. Yeah. It's easy to feel like, oh, well, I, you know, I can't even share how I had been during X time. But a, a lot of people have those epiphanies throughout their lives at any time. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I've seen it happen. Shoot, my fiance, God, I, I don't want to say this too bluntly, but she got radicalized just by calculating the rate by which substitute teachers are paid versus herself as a credentialed teacher. Yeah. And I think that what we're talking about is is that the sense that not that the substitute teachers are being paid too much, but that everyone should have access yeah. to the sense that they are being taken care of. Yeah. Because she felt and feels exploited sure. as a teacher in the system. Sure. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about the taking care of part. And, you know, just I guess the 
to bookend like the intro part, the, the, my story going into this is that everything about my life fundamentally changed when I embraced the kind of axiom that you do better by helping other people. That was the foundation of my recovery. I'm learning that's the foundation of my faith. And then in this like political journey, as I learn more about socialism, that just resonates and lines up with everything that's already been proving true in my own life to be transformative and a source of power and and change. Yeah. And so it, it, it's all lining up. And that's why that's why I'm just super stoked on this project with the the podcast and also the mutual aid piece. That's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So what about you, man? Let's hear it. Dude, I gotta pee. Okay. I'm gonna go get a I'm gonna pee and get a jacket. (laughs) (laughs) It's cold in this garage. talk about myself yeah don't (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) yeah no problem appreciate that happy to um so yeah what's what's the story of jeff man i i'll I'll admit i'm actually a little nervous now after you you gave a very like succinct sort of like narrative flow and i've been trying to to come up with the same for myself right um, but I, I think what really struck me is that a lot of, you're a few years older than me. Um, but a lot of the same events, um, struck me as well. I, I mean, I was, um, I, I took part in, in, you know, my first March, my first protest, I think I was 15, maybe 16 and it was an anti-war March in Washington, D.C., um, and, you know, I was very heavily, um, in, invested in sort of the climate change discussions, but, yeah. you know, as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, right. and, and I don't want to disparage anyone, anyone who's a, an activist at, at those ages. And I know that I felt very strongly about the morality of, of, the anti-war movement, and I felt very strongly about the morality of the uh, climate change. But looking back as well, I, man, man, I had just so much to learn, yeah. and it's been a journey. Yeah. Um, my family uh, is it was polar opposite to you, actually. My family was uh, highly educated but poor. Uh, generally speaking, we we lived in student housing and uh, lived mm. in, in poor uh, neighborhoods pretty much until um, until uh, high school. At, at which point we moved out Where was into this? the yeah. By well, yeah, you don't need to know about all the different places I've lived. But this uh, is like East Coast, right? This is all East Coast generally, yeah. but Midwest and East Coast. I okay. grew up in the South Side of Chicago. Um, and in the, in the boonies out in the boonies and sort of a, a rural, uh, very Republican, uh, county in, in Maryland. Yeah. And to go from, 
uh, a minority majority um, high school my freshman year where uh, in the south side of Chicago where, you know, the 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 school debate champion was black. Um, the um, the every sport, every intramural, every activity was just a highly diverse group of people. And, mm. you know, I was struck there was a, a girl I met in French too who told me that she was going to be president, just like Amanda Gorman. You know, that was yeah. her plan. And I wonder yeah. where she is. Like on sure. I, Godspeed to her. I hope that she's doing great. And I hope that she's, you know, getting her campaign set up for yeah. Uh, you know, four years down the line, she should be eligible at this point. And, you know, she'll be the dark horse candidate at this point. I don't know who she is anymore. <laughs> oh, I was going <laughs> to say, you should you find know, her on Facebook. Yeah, I, uh, I, I might be able to. Who yeah. knows? I'm friends with some people from um, the, that uh, from my freshman year in high school still. But going from there to like a all-white school yeah. in the middle of of, you know, uh, yeah, Maryland's blue, and and this is, I think, one of the things that I get uncomfortable with saying, like, Maryland's blue. Well, there are a lot of Republicans in Maryland, and there are a lot of Democrats in Maryland, and I just lived in a heavily uh, Republican section of the state, right. but it was very disconcerting for me. Um, my, my family is very, uh, I would say, liberal um, yeah. in terms of, you know, they, they had sort of the, uh, the Democratic line, and... Uh, we're, my family's pretty quirky. We've got all sorts of idiosyncrasies. Um, and I, I think that that was a formative experience for myself as well, is that I realized that, you know, the, the, the world that I grew up in, um, is not always the same. Right. And, and, and then going to college, I, yeah, I, I was, uh, I went to, uh, uh, a private school, a very tiny private school, and similar experience. I think a hand, like literally, you could count on your hand, one hand, how many minorities there were in, hmm. in that uh, in my graduating class, and um, the books that we read, the conversations we had, all of them were very, and I just I just want to say it, very white. You yeah. know, it it was literally the underpinnings of white thought and cultural experiences. Yeah. Um, and I I had a huge amount of imposter syndrome in in school during that period because everyone just seemed so smart, and and pretty pretty damn wealthy. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask, was that also like class based? Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I think that there were definitely people who um came in who were just smart and very inquisitive and got um excited about the fact that it was a it was a very book centric um program. But I I don't think I fit in at all that entire time, and it felt very uncomfortable for me. And I I don't think I was I even had a way to explain it. I'm yeah. mostly I just thought I was dumb. Well, you know, but uh, <laughs> uh, getting out of that, I, I I didn't know what the hell I was doing, you yeah. know. And so I, I went and volunteered and I started volunteering and didn't stop, even though it at some point it stopped being volunteering and became a career. Can we can we just like dive in on that just a little bit in yeah. terms of the motivations? Like, sure. I think when, when I think. 
I wanted I to be a badass with a chainsaw. Is that what it was? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. I don't. I had no like. I. I honestly. I don't think that there was as much of an idealistic spirit okay. as I didn't know what I was doing and I wanted to be a firefighter. Right on. So like, okay. I. I went out and. Um, you know, flew out to Los Angeles or not out Los Angeles, Sacramento was the first time I'd ever gotten to the West coast. It was really just like hiking out on my own and just figuring it out. Like I'd never really traveled before I was, you know, not very independent as a person, you know, I'd kind of grown up in a bubble. Um, and I went out and, uh, yeah, became a, a wildland firefighter, uh, through, uh, AmeriCorps, um, built, playgrounds down in new orleans and lived in um you know essentially a homeless shelter there um with a bunch of other volunteers Hmm. and um got introduced to a whole different group of people people uh, from all walks of life coming together idealists or not and we all just learned to live and work together for for years on various projects and it was i you know at at the time it was frustrating it was difficult to understand the full um impact of what we were doing but it was very eye-opening in terms of how policy or lack of policy or bad policy impacts people and Hmm. it um just by the fact that i had to live in these communities uh for extended periods of time on very low, uh, you know, I think we were making four, maybe 11. I think the food budget was $4 a day and we earned $11 a day during that period. I, I've never been more broke for a longer (laughs) period of time than that, but it taught me so much about the United States and it taught me so much about the world and just how it operates. And, you know, I think one of the things that really struck me was when I went and helped out in the Hoopa Indian Territory up in Northern California, and we were clearing out, um, working with a forestry crew to clear out uh, a, a new campsite area. Um, and, you know, it, it felt very exotic and very interesting Um, but at the same time I kept on like just making like horrible faux pas. Like I remember saying like, man, this is a beautiful country. I'd love to live in this area. And I was like, oh my God, I just said that to a native American whose lands got stolen by white people. Like, whoa, I, you know, I had to learn some awareness and they were very clear to us. Like, thank you for your help. However, please know that you stole this land from us and have only granted us this small space. Wow. And it was like a shot in the dark. What a lesson. What a lesson. What a lesson. And then, um, that's super cool, man. Yeah. It was a wild experience. Just the whole, just the whole time frame. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I wasn't done traveling. So I, I went and lived abroad in South Korea, which was also a very enlightening experience. And I'm still learning lessons from it today. Um, I think my perceptions of the country changed a lot, um, over the, the years that I spent there. Um, you know, there's definitely a very privileged piece to, to going overseas 
and being paid just to know a language that is valuable. Sure. And not just paid, but paid well. Mm. Like I, I literally entered the middle class with no prerequisites, basically. And that still strikes me to today where I have a, I have a master's degree. I have a full professional career and I still feel like I'm chasing what I was earning in South Korea as an ESL teacher. I paid $5 a, a visit. I had universal healthcare. I had a, an apartment. I had public transportation. Um, food was cheap, generally speaking. And, you know, I could have stayed. I mean, what a contrast to the, you talk about the privilege of, you know, entering the middle class just because the language, you know, you know, not yeah. even necessarily of your own doing. It was just no oh. what you soaked up in your in your childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you entered into middle class just because of this intrinsic uh, skill you possess that that is valuable. What what a contrast to the typical immigrant story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that 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 had. I, I would say the typical immigrant story was coming back to the United States and being homeless in Los Angeles, trying mm. to figure out how to build a life in America after that. Because, my God, that's it so was interesting. So much more difficult yeah. than anything else was just coming to California and trying to do anything. Um, that says so much, <laughs> <laughs> dude. It's still like I'm. I'm like I don't even think about that. That we could much, do an entire episode just on that. Yeah. Well, okay. But I wanna I wanna rope this back yeah. in because like yeah. yeah, every a lot of people. No, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people um, have gone and done the, the teaching overseas. But I think what really struck me. I mean, this is super morbid, but. Um, not many people pay attention to South Korean current events, but uh, when I was overseas, a ferry f- filled with 400 high school students sank oh. on the way uh, from Seoul to Je- Jeju Island, Jeez. which is like the Hawaii of South Korea. It's a, yeah. uh, I've never been, but it's supposed to be really nice. And... Um, I didn't know at the time. I, I was not well-versed in um, the Korean language enough to, to really be able to follow what was going on in the news. And this is really hard to share, um, but those students were from the town that I lived in and I taught wow. their younger brothers and sisters. Jeez Louise, man. The entire wing of a high school just disappeared. Wow. And, um, the, the principal hung himself, Wow! but what I picked up on as I was reading the news and learning more about this, this was a national tragedy. They went into a year of mourning as a nation. They literally stopped all fun activities for a year. I don't want to say that completely bars were still open and things like that, but you know, uh, festivals were canceled, um, it was the first time I'd seen an entire nation outside of 9-11 just stop. Right. And um, A national trauma. A national trauma. But what really struck me was that there were people um, in Korean politics who were saying, well, they shouldn't have taken the cheap ferry. Mm. 
they got what they paid for. Wow. That and sounds that familiar. sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, it was horrible. Wow. It was a horrible experience. I remember, I, I don't even want to go too far into that, but right. that really peeled away the layers of so much where I found out like, oh, it turns out the Korean shipping industry regulates itself, which is how this ferry that was overloaded and ill you know, not just badly built, but they had Maintained. built illegal structures on top of it. <laughs> it, it the, if you look up the Seawolf Ferry disaster, it is one of the most heartrendingly just horrible events that could have happened. And it, and it impacted children specifically. Yeah. Um, so that, that really started peeling back layers. And then to me, um, to also be speaking with the teachers who some of the older ones, um, especially one uh, teacher, her English name was Christine. She had grown up in Guangzhou, which me meant nothing to me as an American. But in Korea um, in 19, in the 1980s, there was a pro-democracy uprising that was brutally suppressed in that city and thousands of people were shot and killed. It was essentially Tiananmen Square hmm. and um, it was pointed out to me that there was an American U.S. aircraft carrier off the shore of Guangzhou at the time ensuring that that uprising didn't go further. Wow. So not only was this teacher I was I've worked with closely over the year um, in that city, but she more than likely had partaken in those uh, pro-democracy protests. And you might say, wait, I thought South Korea was a democracy. Well, not really yeah. until those protests won them their democracy in 1986. Wow. So for me... I, it's more than I thought. Those were really formative experiences. Um, yeah, sounds like it. I didn't even know you had this experience. I've had a lot <laughs> of experiences. I mean, <laughs> it really, it really provides like the context of why you like when you talk about the passions that you have right now. Like this, this makes a lot more sense. Yeah, you know, it's like those formidable, formidable like origin story experiences like in like in the marvel movies it's like why did <laughs> why did captain america become captain america mm -hmm. it's like oh this makes a lot of sense yeah i get i'm getting the captain america backstory of jeff i really you know cool. i almost feel i almost feel bad that i haven't shared these stories but yeah i mean there are a lot of these and i yeah. and i i'll i promise i'll share more as we go along it's just it's yeah. tough to even pull these out because sure. there there are just so many of them I mean, that's but a heart-wrenching story like it was I'm sorry to sorry to spring that on you, man. No, that was no, not a part I mean, of the uh, the meeting notes beforehand. <laughs> it was not. That was, that was accurate. Yeah, man. Oh, dude, it was wild. So, coming back to the U.S., though, like let's be honest, I wanted to go back to South Korea ASAP. I mean, to come back and to not have health insurance and to come back and and you know even just the basics of like getting a driver's license because it had expired while I was overseas. Because whoops. Yeah. Uh, was horribly difficult. Like you needed a car in order to get the driver's test, in order to get the driver's license, but in order to get to the 
place where the driver's license test was happening, you needed to be able to drive there. Yeah. So like, thankfully my family was able to support me, but man, I, I just imagine anybody, you know, if, if you don't have those conveniences already lined up, well, if you don't have a car, you don't have access to a lot. Sure in the United States and sure. especially in rural Maryland. But even I, I was living in West Baltimore uh, at that time and I just didn't, I just parked my car and left it and bicycled everywhere cause it was just easier. Um, so yeah, I flew out to LA um, with a, a job offer and just started grinding and it uh, thankfully it, it, I built a, a really strong community and really built um, a career and got my uh, graduate degree and, 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 you know, moved from there. But I think a lot of those formative experiences never left. Yeah. And so while I did have, and I, you know, I said, like I was a, I was a moderate, no, I, I wouldn't say moderate. I was, a, I was a very liberal person, you know, in terms of how I thought, but I still had this sense that, like you said, electoral politics was what, Right. Made the world go round. Right. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's almost going to be a cliche at this point. But 2016, man, I was I was in class at the time and just watching um, my fellow classmates. I mean, I felt horrible, but watching people cry because they're they were immigrants or right. they were black or they were any number of vulnerable populations oppressed populations and how horrible they weren't going to be insulated by the same privileges as you exactly yeah and just realizing like man we're in it for the long haul yeah was a big was a big change for me and um yeah i i think that the last four years um have just been a very stressful time period but also one of of extreme growth for myself as well sure. and you know i'm really thankful that you and i got to go through that growth together and here we are yeah, in me a too. garage uh <laughs> getting stoked <laughs> about the next phase in this project right on man right on thank you for sharing that hell yeah what a yeah. story so is there anything else that we want to Nah, touch man. on I, I think it's gone on long yeah. enough we're stoked to I, hopefully we'll get andre the neighbor um, andre the neighbor andre needs to the make neighbor. a guest appearance <laughs> make a guest appearance on the next episode because i think i think that'll be fascinating but otherwise you know i'll, I'll be reaching out to my network to see if yeah. there's anyone else who wants to speak to their their experiences and is there is there a historical uh, you got enough already, man. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I promise I'll have more, but yeah, we're good. We're good. All right. Well, episode zero in the bag. In the bag. <laughs> right on. Right on. Thanks, man. What was in my head?